Good morning, everybody. Now, you may have noticed recently, as I have, a certain turn in the weather towards the cold side. Winter is coming. Uh, for those of you who watch Game of Thrones, that's an uh, apposite phrase for us at the moment. Um, and apart from meaning a lot more rain and wind and clouds and all those things, uh, it also means that we're looking forward to a steady increase in the number of colds that are going to be uh, flying around our community, because this is the season when uh, viruses have their day. And um, viruses are interesting things, because despite being very active and we can see their effect, they're actually not really living things at all in some sense. Um, they've got no life of their own. And they spread by getting themselves inside other healthy living cells and turning the life of that cell against it. So they use them up from the inside and they multiply inside and then spread out, uh, trying to infect uh, neighbouring cells. And that keeps happening until hosts like us start to feel sick. And we have to have a day off or so. And the theme of our sermon today, we're looking at Jeremiah, as you would have heard in the reading, is the topic of lies. And in many ways, lies, I think, are actually a bit like viruses. So a lie is not actually anything really in itself. It's just an idea or even a set of words. But what it does, in our, my experience, is it gets inside our mind, a healthy mind perhaps, and it infects the mind, changes it from the inside, and then usually tries to spread itself out to other minds nearby um, in order to multiply and keep itself going. And so this can happen very rapidly, uh, particularly when a lie that we, has infected us is particularly close to the truth, or it's something that people really want to hear. So there's an old saying, um, a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth gets its boots on. And we've seen that to be true many times. Now, Jeremiah, as we just heard, he was really concerned with lies and with the effect that they were having on his nation of Judah. And that in his perspective, all these, the lies that he could see around him and his culture at the time were like viruses that had made his nation sick and perhaps sick enough even to die. To remind you, uh, for the last few weeks we've been working our way through this book, which is uh, the record of the life and the prophetic words of the prophet Jeremiah. And he was one of the last great prophets in the history of the nation of Judah, who are the people of God in the Old Testament, uh, in the time just before they were defeated in battle by the Babylonians and taken away into exile. And in that time, Jeremiah was given the task of sharing a message of judgment and a message of hope with his people during that time. And in previous sermons, we started to cover what that message was in general terms. So Jeremiah saw that a time of devastation was coming, something that his nation wasn't going to be able to survive, this attack by the Babylonians. And he believed and taught that this was a judgment against Judah for their bad behaviour and for abandoning their relationship with God. So Jeremiah is a book about judgment, as we looked at last week. And I shared the perspective in our sermon last week that when you think about judgment in the Bible, what it's really describing is not so much punishment or the consequences for bad behaviour, but actually the judgment is really the clear statement of the truth of things before God, particularly the truth of things in the heart. So judgment is just another word for truth that has been applied to us. And so judgment is really, this is how God sees things in his perfect perception of us what's actually going on inside us, inside our culture or inside our families or inside our heart um, and inside the world as a whole. And we discussed last week how judgment, when we hear it from God, is intended by him to expose 
what's going on inside so that we can see our need for change, our need for forgiveness and healing, and so that we can avoid the path of destruction that we might be on. And so judgment from God is actually just truth from him. And it gives us the assurance that God is actually truly good. And his intentions for the world are truly good as well. So we can understand perhaps why this passage from Jeremiah 9 is here and why he focuses on lies so much and his deep concern about the prevalence of lying in the people around him and the deception and the untruth that characterised his nation in his time. Because when Judah lies to themselves about what's going on, they're making it impossible for themselves to hear the truth, to hear God's judgment and to come back to him and be saved. And the result of that judgment, that this destruction that was coming, then seems to Jeremiah, well, this is going to be inevitable because people are addicted to lies and they won't give them up. And so that's the power of lies in this kind of situation, this sort of viruses in the mind. And the serious consequences that when they get inside the kind of the cells of a nation and its leaders in particular. And so Jeremiah looks around, as we heard, and he's deeply upset looking at the fact that his people around him are not just lying occasionally, but they seem to be pathological and compulsive liars in every facet of their lives. And they completely deceive themselves and spend their time deceiving each other. And we see him say of things like people, of his people that we heard him say, you know, they're all adulterers. You know, they're all like people who are cheating on their spouse and uh, lying to them. And this is how they're relating to God and how they're relating to each other. And he says they use lies like weapons to hurt other people and to win their battles. He says they make their tongue ready like a bow to shoot lies. That's not by truth that they triumph in the land. In practice, I imagine he's thinking about things like people lying in court in order to deny poor people justice, which is the kind of thing that would happen, or rich landowners cheating people of their wages by you know, shortchanging them or lying about the work they've done. There's a very common complaint in the Bible. He sees this happening around him all the time. And he sees that even people who are friends with each other, so-called, it's a bit of a sham, and their friendships are based on self-interest. He says, beware of your friends. Don't trust anyone in your clan, for every one of them is a deceiver and every friend a slanderer. You know, how much of a friend is someone who deceives you for their own gain or who slanders your reputation in order to build themselves up? So what Jeremiah sees is an entire nation of people who, for their own selfish interest, have taught themselves to prefer lies at every opportunity rather than to believe and speak the truth about what's going on. Last week I said at the heart of the judgment that Jeremiah spoke from God uh, was that the people of God had actually failed to keep the two great commandments that are at the heart of the law of God in the Old Testament. To love God with all their hearts and to love their neighbours as themselves. They're not doing that, Jeremiah says. They don't love God. They love idols. They love the things that they've made. And they don't love their neighbours. They treat them badly and they exploit them. And that message of judgment that you fail to do that is basically the whole of the prophetic message of the Old Testament. So you can thank me later because I've just saved you from reading about 15 books of the Bible. Um, if you ever want to skip over the last bit of the Old Testament, that's basically what they're saying. No, please read them. But um, the, the, the prophets say, the people of God, you know, you should be look at yourself and be honest with how you're behaving when you're doing those things. But what's, what's happening, Jeremiah is saying, these people are avoiding the judgment of God and that truth by lying to themselves and other people about what's going on. Their nation is going down the drain and they are looking the other way and whistling a happy tune and pretending nothing's going wrong. 
So how does a whole nation get to this point when they're lying? You know, how does this kind of systematic culture of lying get its grip on our lives? Because it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, so I want to give you just an analysis of what I see in the dynamic of lying and of the kind, sort of the um, things that Christian leaders over the years have seen and how people get into this sort of situation. So you just think, well, why do we lie? Okay, Why do we get trapped by lies in our lives? Firstly, I think it seems the process of deception begins in the heart. Over time, the reality is we, we become disconnected from God and from his life and the sense of security and well-being that comes from our connection with God. You know, because we were made to, to be connected to God and to have a kind of plug into his spiritual life uh, and to receive that life from him every day, every moment. And so if we did that, we, we would feel that we have everything that we need because we would. But, however, through our choices and our failure to do so, we lose that connection. And so what happens is at the heart of all of us, to a greater or lesser extent, is a sense of disconnection and emptiness, where this connection with God is supposed to be. And what that leads to is a desire to seek other things that are going to fill that void, other things apart from God, and so we do that. That's idolatry, and that's the problem in the, that we talked about already. And in doing so, and in seeking after those things that we need, or we feel we need, we start to exercise parts of our nature that are not healthy or pleasant or life-giving. So, for instance, just for an example, if you need, we feel we need security, so we do so perhaps by pursuing the accumulation of money. And in the process, become greedy, materialistic, become cold towards other people and do things that are not good in order to get that. And when you do that and you do things like it, over time we become trapped in bad habits and bad character and this is how we kind of get into these fixes. But the thing is, all the while we're doing this, we know deep within ourselves, because it is there still that feeling, that those things are not going to properly satisfy us. But to acknowledge that is painful because it means you have to go back to God. So instead what we do is we trick ourselves and others into believing that we don't need anything else and there's nothing wrong. You know, for instance, we might say to yourself, oh, look, I can see that I'm, I've given my life to accumulating money, but what I'm really doing is once I've got enough, I'm going to start being really generous. That's why I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of thing, I think, is in essence the origin of this kind of culture of lying in ourselves and in any culture or nation. It sort of develops this um, life of itself. So you ma we manufacture lies to cover up the truth, that we've failed... Uh, to be connected to God and we don't have the strength to do what we should be doing. And we cover up the pain of being separated from God and his love by lying about it and ignoring the pain of our neighbours by saying it's not that bad, what we're doing to them. And so those lies, you can see, they're like the virus of sin. You know, it gets inside our natural desire for well-being, which is God-given, to seek the good, um, and it destroys it from the inside and then it takes that and spreads its disease to those around us who are, who are caught and that's how an entire community can be destroyed. And I think that's what the, Jeremiah is saying. You know, lies move from individual people to the rest of the group, from leaders to those who follow them. A community can, gives it to its members and its children as they grow up. And it's like a people, group of people sharing the flu around. Okay? We infect each other. And, you know, once the infection is bad enough, this process of decline sets in, you know. And even a whole nation like Judah can succumb to it. And as they found, once you get into that, sickness can be very hard to stop. 
So Jeremiah grew up in the reign of King Josiah. If you know the story, you'll know that he was one of the good kings of Judah, and he tried very hard to bring his people back to a healthy relationship with God. But the fact is he was not able to stop the forward march of this sickness in his community. It had gone too far. And the only thing that was left was Jeremiah's judgment that, well, this is going to come to an end. And it would be a sign that when, when you're ready to hear it, you can come back. So it can be very serious. So this is how Judah got into this situation, I think. Um, but lies, of course, are not just something that takes over ancient cultures. You know, let's perhaps look a little closer to home at our own culture and, how, and our stake in those kind of lies, because of course we have it. Uh, to the extent we're disconnected from God, we can't help but have it. This, this, does, this pattern of growing and lying. And that it expresses for itself for us, I think, in the same kind of behaviour and the same issues that the people of Judah had. So, for instance, it is very common, I think, for us to turn a blind eye as a community to questionable things that we do as a nation that will grow our economic uh, growth, you know, make us money, or the way that we treat our natural environment and the, what the consequences of that are going to be, and the way that we treat people who are disadvantaged, you know, because it suits us and how we want what we want. We had the federal election yesterday, of course. And you've got to ask yourselves, how many of the things that we were told during that campaign were designed to make us think about ourselves and our own interests and to be satisfied with um, taking that as what, we, as what uh, guides our behaviour? Whether or not even those things were technically true that we were told. Many of them probably weren't. We know that. You know, because we're asked to believe what suits us. And we can see, you know, you can start... Oh, Jeremiah gets a bit political when you start applying that to your own life. And we'll think a bit more about that next week and what it means for us. But today, let's just understand that for Jeremiah and for the other prophets, a, a nation, a culture that lies to itself, is headed towards destruction. And individuals who do so are as well. To the extent that we embrace convenient lies, we're putting ourselves on the wrong side of God's judgment and headed towards negative consequences. Headed away from loving God and loving our neighbours. And that's a temptation for people in every age and every culture. Um, but, you know, every culture has its own particular brand of lies that we like to be susceptible to. You know, so what are some of ours, perhaps? I think one of the big ones I see is the idea that gets into our head that I will find my well-being and sense of satisfaction in the things that I own. My home, my car, my toys, my gadgets, everything that I have. And also that I'm going to be able to feel satisfied fully in my own achievements and the success that I've had in my career. And, how, and sort of generally having a luxurious and beautiful life. This will make me feel good. And, you know, that is, of course, a lie. And everyone knows that it's not true. But we live as though it wasn't true, don't we? All of us at one time or another have pursued that. And we unfortunately have an entire advertising industry dedicated to delivering that message to us in highly enticing ways through multiple media channels, including, I don't have on me, but uh, if you look at, looked, probably in your pocket somewhere or near you, is a fantastically complex device that almost all of us carry by our sides every single hour of every day of our lives to get information. And for that reason, we are probably, statistically speaking, the most lied to people in the history of the world. <laughs> I imagine, okay? <laughs> now, of course, not everything in the media and advertising is bad in case there's people here who work in those industries and I think there's much good that they can do. Um, but the reality is anything 
that is a compelling lie for us, it's going to be spread very quickly and effectively throughout the entire population in a couple of hours. It can be done. Don't go and do it, but you can do it. Um, and we know, I think it's clear in, the, in, in fact, that that is contributing in conflict, concrete ways to, to the decline of our political, social and cultural life. We're less integrated than we used to be because of it. The term fake news was invented in the smartphone era to describe carefully prepared and shared lies that are designed to make us vote for things that are not necessarily very good. But that problem is not unique to our age, of course. Jeremiah was there ahead of us two and a half thousand years ago and he had the same message. So we are prone to be deceived by lies and to get trapped by them. And that's a depressing subject to think about, isn't it? But it's not a hopeless one, thankfully. Uh, because there is a kind of break of light to be seen through the fog of lies in our lives. And that's the fact that, no, that lies, no matter what they promise us, don't satisfy us in the end or provide real well-being. So it's not, they're not God and they can't be. And so in the end, if we're fortunate, we become weary of them. And Jeremiah says in verse 5 to these people, he says, they have taught their tongues to lie, they weary themselves with sinning. And he, of course, probably just means that they sin so much they get tired from all the work that they're doing sinning. But there is, I think, also a weariness in false things that leads to a desire for something good and something real. And that's where the biblical answer to lies comes in, what God will do to help us. So what's the answer? What's the answer to lies? Well, I think it comes in the end with an encounter with the truth that is so powerful that it exposes our lies in a way that can't be ignored. When this happens to us, it's what the Bible calls repentance. And so the word repentance in our Bibles, which you've probably heard a lot, it's, it comes from a Greek word that literally means to change your mind or to have a new mind. To repent is to change our mind. And we encounter a truth that's powerful, that it breaks through the lies and gives us a renewed mind about ourselves, about God and the world. And one of the key things Jesus did was to bring this new truth and a powerful truth from God that was so powerful it would break all the lies of the world open forever and expose them for what they are. In John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, Jesus is confronting the people of his day with their need for God and he says... If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free, he says. The truth will set us free from sin and from the lies that cover over our sin. And what is that truth? Well, in fact, that truth, he says, is himself, Jesus Christ himself. God is the truth, and to know God is to know his truth. And so Jesus promised that we would know the truth through him, and that God's judgment, you know, God's truth would actually enter into the world in a new way after Jesus as the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit would break through the power of this entire system of lies that we've set up over the world. In John chapter 16, verse 7 to 13, for instance, Jesus speaks to his disciples before he was arrested and he went to die. And he's speaking to them about the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit would do. He says, unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. 
But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So the truth is not a set of ideas about the world. It's not a set of statements. It's the truth is actually a person. The truth is God. The truth is the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so if we are caught up in lies, what we need, Jesus says, is God's spirit to enlighten us again, to lead us into truth, into repentance and a new mind. So how do you know we're repenting, though? And perhaps, you know, not just being caught up with new ideas as well that are just another set of ideas that are, tr- that are false. Well, over the years, many Christians have observed that one of the signs of repentance and the experience of God's truth through the Spirit is actually that we shed tears of sorrow about things and, and what we, that we see. So we read in the first verse of our reading that this was Jeremiah's reaction to the words of God that came to him. He said, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. There's something in the experience of encountering God in our hearts and seeing the truth about ourselves that creates this experience of intense sorrow that Jeremiah had. Not just sadness, which is loss, of course, but sorrow, this experience of being, I think, overwhelmed by the reality of things, perhaps how far we are from God, our failure to measure up to him. And when we feel this way, as Jeremiah did, you weep for yourself and you weep for others. If this is a true encounter then with God's spirit, then this sorrow or these fountains of tears then, it seems to be, acts like a kind of stream of water as well, a spring of water that cleanses our spirit, you know. It blocks off the desire to sin and the attraction of lies or to seek anything else apart from God. Tears and that sort of sorrow is like antibodies against the virus of the lies. Now, that might sound strange if that's not been part of your experience as a Christian yet. Um, But there is a deep truth here, I think, about repentance or our need for repentance and the experience of repentance. And it has been universally true over the years, I think, for God's people when they encounter his spirit and his truth. So I think, for instance, of um, the Apostle Peter weeping on the night that Jesus was arrested when he realised the truth about himself after he had out of his fear, had lied and denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And then he wept. And I believe that's when he began to repent of himself and put on the new mind that we see in in Peter after Jesus rose from the dead. And many Christians over the years have therefore placed a great emphasis on this experience of what we might call a kind of holy sorrow. The tears that come from experiencing God and seeing what is going on in our lives and the world around us. And I think that for us today, Jeremiah is a reminder that when we look at the world and when we look at our church, perhaps, or our family, or our own heart, and what we see is not good, the proper response is to weep for it. Because that's how we change. You know, if all the lies in our lives have made us tired, we need a new experience of the truth. And we need to ask God then to show us his heart and his truth. And that will transform our mind. And we need to ask for the Holy Spirit to touch our spirit and give us this spring of water that will cleanse us from within. And to trust then that when we do reconnect with God and we actually come back to his well-being that he has in his heart, then this sorrow will turn into joy and the experience of fullness that we've been seeking. And lies won't matter anymore. I want to read to you as I finish from Psalm 30, which is a psalm that could have been written, I think, to express that experience and the hope that There is joy to be found in the midst of lies 
and God's judgment on it. Um, because when we accept that and allow his truth to change us. So I'm going to read a few verses from that psalm on the subject of weeping and joy. And so as I do so, let's take this as a prayer into our hearts, make it our prayer today, that the spirit of truth is going to break into our minds and to renew them today. Let's ask him to do that. Psalm 30 says, Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You turned my wailing into dancing, and you removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever.